Hello and welcome to From Balloons to Drones, the official podcast of BalloonsToDrones.com, where we explore the development of military air power from the earliest days of flight until today. I'm your host, Mike Hankins. And I am your host, Brian Lastly. Well, Brian, air-to-air fighters are in the news again lately. You've probably seen there's been a string of incidents where we had some F-22s and an F-16 shooting down objects over the skies of North America. And in the spirit of talking about air-to-air fighters, we're going to talk today about two of the most famous and I would say most popular air-to-air fighters of all time. That's the F-14 Tomcat and the F-15 Eagle. So these aircraft, they have a really fascinating story, both their development and in their operational use. And so to do that, we are joined today by Dr. Tal Tovi, a senior lecturer at Bar Ilan University in Israel, a veteran of the Israel Defense Forces and author of Tomcats and Eagles, the development of the F-14 and F-15 in the Cold War from Naval Institute Press. Tal, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon and good evening in my place. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been nice to be able to get the time zone synced up for this one. So we're really happy that you were able to join us. Um, let's jump right into the book. Um, your book focuses obviously on the F-14 Tomcat and the F-15 Eagle. Why did you pick these two fighters? What makes these airplanes different or unique and worthy of a book? Uh, the idea began when I look at the websites, uh, books, they say that uh, the F-14 and, and the F-15 are a product of the Vietnam War. And then I look, even in Wikipedia, you can see that it's begin to think about uh, those aircraft in the, the beginning of the 60s, before Vietnam, before uh, the aerial combat in Vietnam. So I... Th- think that maybe I have a case for uh, for research. I asked my friend in the Maxwell Air Force Base, teach over there, and he said, okay, you have something. And from that, it uh, became a book. And I think that uh, those two aircraft are uh, maybe not most popular, but uh, most important uh, in the Western uh, military uh, arsenal uh, after World War II. With all the respect to the F-4 Phantom, and I think, uh, and there is a lot of respect uh, even here in Israel, I think these two aircraft, uh, after the Vietnam War, the 70s, up to today, even the F-14 is not in service in the United States, still in service in Iran, but the F-15 still uh, operate. Yeah, you know, you talk a lot about how changes in the threats from the Soviet Union was driving aircraft design in other places. So what were the Soviet threats and why was the U.S. worried about them? Uh, First, I need to say that the book is not uh, not compare between the F-14 and the F-15. It can be it's uh, two stories in uh, in one book. If we look uh, on the F-14, heavy, the, the Soviet heavy bombers, with cruise missiles, with a lot of uh, naval uh, development in the 50s and in the 60s, start to threat the naval, uh, the U.S. Uh, naval domination in high seas. If uh, we will argue that uh, the aircraft carrier is the in the middle of the strategic uh, power of the navy, the strategic, uh, the center of the national defense, uh, the United States national defense. 
So uh, if the Soviets threat the aircraft carrier, so someone needs to, somebody, something need to protect this uh, carrier, this power, the, the naval power. So this is the F-14. The F-14 is uh, developed because a naval development in the Soviet Union. And if we are going to the F-15, first the Air Force thought he need a, a new um, fighter, a intercept fighter. Then we have Vietnam War with uh, the heavy losses in uh, air-to-air battles. And then in 67, and it's not connected to the Vietnam War, the Soviets show to the world the MiG-25. And there is no single uh, aircraft in, uh, in the West that can intercept the MiG-25. The Soviet sells a few uh, reconnaissance MiG-25 to Egypt, and they flew and take a picture in the Sinai, Sinai Desert. Uh, F-4, Israeli Air Force, F-4 tried to intercept them with no success. So the MiG-25 is uh, the threat on the uh, air superiority of the United States Air Force. So now we need a new uh, intercept fighter. Yeah, I agree completely that uh, that 1967 reveal of these new fighters is so important. And, you know, I just remember reading so many sources about like how scary that MiG-25 really was uh, for the U.S. when when that was kind of being revealed uh, and pushing in a lot of these, these directions into new looking at new aircraft and what those new aircraft need to do. When you talk about the F-14 and 15 development, I like the angle you take because there's a lot written about these airplanes, right? You know, Brian, you've written about these kind of in the context of like tactical and training changes in your book, uh, The Air Force Way of War. I've I've written about them a little bit from a more developmental cultural perspective. But Tali, your book takes this idea that there's this bigger geopolitical context of the Cold War that's kind of influencing the F-14 and F-15, that they have to be seen in this context of the Cold War. So I was going to ask you, like, what do you mean by that? What is that geopolitical context and how does it influence the design of these fighters? Again, uh, the F-14 is uh, supposed to protect the naval power of the United States, the aircraft carrier. And uh, if the Navy say that uh, the aircraft carrier is uh, 17,000 tons of uh, diplomacy, and uh, if we are looking what happened since World War II, up today, I think that in many cases, uh, the first response to um, crisis anywhere in the world is to move uh, at least one uh, carrier to the area. You can see that just uh, a few hours, a few days after the invasion of North Korea to the south, you can see uh, in, in 1954 when the uh, Chinese uh, threatened Taiwan. So when United States remove aircraft carrier to a crisis zone, it's a diplomacy uh, announcement. It's uh, it's a geopolitical uh, mechanisms that say that uh, it it's in our concern what happened in this area of the world. And we will uh, intervene if something uh, will happen, something will uh, threaten uh, the U.S. Uh, national interest. And uh, the F-14 is aircraft carrier defender. This is what I said, that uh, in, a, in a micro 
the F14 is a micro to uh, the macro uh, approach of the national uh, defense uh, authority. Uh, the F-15, we need uh, to look at the uh, relations between the Air Force and the Army. We need to look on the European theater, I think, more than uh, most area of the United States uh, interested. In the late uh, 70s, uh, beginning of the 80s, when the United States uh, began to be more involved in what happened in the Persian Gulf, the F-15 gives United States the air superiority to rule this uh, the land, the ground of the land of Europe, of the Persian Gulf region. So again, a micro fighter that uh, small project uh, the macro national interest of the United States. This is my idea. I thought a lot about it because I, there is a. Uh, there's books about the F-14 and the F-15. I try to, to, to find a new angle. And I think that first uh, to, to begin with in the late 50s and the beginning of the 60s is the, the new approach. And then to look uh, on two uh, machines as uh, represent the global interest of the United States will, will give uh, my research a, a new angle that others uh, didn't think about. Yeah, I think one of the really fascinating things your book does is, like you just said, is this this longer timeline of aircraft development. You know, too often what we will see here is Vietnam bad, Desert Storm good, and the F-15 and the F-14 are amongst those technological wonders that come about after the Vietnam War. But you also rightly point out that the design of both of these aircraft takes place in the, the, the mid-60s, so really before air combat picks up in Vietnam. But also that, you know, the influence of Vietnam did have some impact on these fighters. So what role did the Vietnam War experience play on the F-15 and the F-14? There's no doubt that Vietnam War had uh, an impact I think that uh, the Vietnam War is the most important event uh, in the United States history, uh, social, uh, cultural, political, whatever you want, after World War II. If I can say, it will it help me to explain, but you can cut it in the edit. I'm writing now a book about the special operation forces after Eagle Claw. And I begin with Vietnam. You can't... Uh, Vietnam is... It's, uh, it's very important. Also, although that the Americans uh, start to think about the aircraft before Vietnam, Vietnam helped to uh, uh, to sharp what we want, especially for the F-15, because the F-14 is a is a bomber killer uh, more than the F-15. I think that the the Air Force, especially the Tactical Air Command, Vietnam War helped to say what we really need from uh, a new intercept uh, aircraft. Uh, we want uh, two engines. We want one uh, pilot. We need to improve our uh, air-to-air missiles. Uh, we need to put uh, a cannon. Uh, it's a trauma. Uh, Vietnam War make, even today, the F-22 and the F-35, both aircraft have uh, cannon. Why 
in this uh, missile area, Vietnam. It's uh, so uh, traumatic. Uh, so the F-15 and F-16, both of them uh, have a cannon. I think that the aerial combat in Vietnam War helped to the Air Force, some, sometimes even the, the Navy, to say what we need to do. The Air Force said we need a new uh, air-to-air uh, aircraft. The Navy say something else, but also very uh, influenced from Vietnam War. We need to focus on pilot training. So they developed Top Gun. After a few years, uh, the Air Force uh, red flag. There is no doubt that Vietnam War is uh, as important. I don't think someone can write a book about military issue after World War II uh, without mention uh, the Vietnam War. So I think that the Vietnam War, to, to some it gives strong push to the develop at what the Air Force and the Navy want from the aircraft. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember being a, a kid or a young adult and there was a Civil War historian, American Civil War historian, who talked about the American Civil War as the crossroads of American history. Uh, and as I've gotten older, you know, I find that really it's it's Vietnam uh, that was the crossroads of American history. Uh, I don't want to upset any Civil War historian. Both events are important, but if we deal with the 20th century on the second half of the 20th century, there is no doubt that Vietnam War, in all aspects, uh, in the American society, sometimes even uh, other places, uh, the Vietnam War had the impact on the Israeli conflict with the Arabs. We can't see the United States in the Middle East till uh, after uh, the, the Vietnam War. In the, late 73. There is an impact on Latin America and Europe. So it's not World War II, okay? But Vietnam War, it's, uh, maybe I bias, my PhD is about Vietnam War. It's the, the one of the five most important issue, uh, events in the second uh, half of the World War, of the uh, 20th century with global impact. I don't think you're you're biased, Tal. Um, although this is a conversation amongst three Vietnam and post-Vietnam War historians, so okay, uh, <laughs> may, maybe maybe all three of us are a little bit biased. <laughs> okay, Do, my students say that this is my yeah, students say that uh, because I wrote my PhD about the Vietnam War, so Vietnam War is uh, so important in my classes. <laughs> it's hard to deny the importance of the Vietnam War. Uh, in all the areas you mentioned, socially, politically, even down to aircraft design, um, it just has such ripple effects that go all throughout society. And and there's still, to this day, you know, people talking about it, and it's still making movies about it and and books. And so it's it's certainly not not that World War II doesn't have those things also, but uh, certainly Vietnam's had a, a pretty large effect. On, on American and world culture. But one of the really interesting things in your book that really sets it apart from some of the others that talk about these issues is that you bring in the Israeli Air Force experience. 
to the development of these aircraft, but also just uh, operationally. So tell us a little bit about the Israeli Air Force experience and how that was an influence on both of these aircraft. First, I need to say that I'm not an Air Force uh, person. I was uh, infantry. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's give me a fresh uh, point of view because if, when, you sp- when you speak with pilots, uh, the Air Force is the, in the uh, center of everything. I look uh, about the impact of the Israeli uh, experience upon the, uh, the Americans, especially after Vietnam. Uh, in the in the period when we when we say 67 or 66 to 73 there was three major war in the middle east six day war uh, the attrition war and the yom kippur war both of them in aerial air to air combat uh, the israeli air force won by far and the american look about their experience in vietnam and say uh, what happened israel is uh, it's about one to fifty-five between uh, sixty-six and seventy-three, and even uh, Israeli pilots uh, ambush uh, Soviet pilots and uh, down the four uh, mix with a Soviet pilot, and in Vietnam it's uh, one to two or in in the average of the older war. So how it can uh, happen? The MiG-21 of the Vietnamese is like the MiG-21 of the Arabs. Uh, the F-Century uh, series, uh, F-100 to 105, is very familiar with the uh, French-made uh, Mirage. Uh, also, the Israeli had uh, the Phantom, and we have uh, we had the, the Phantom. So what, what uh, got uh, wrong with us? Um, the American, what, what happened with the Israeli? And I think that the American understands that the pilot is in the center. Not uh, the, you, the pilot needs uh, advanced machine. The pilot needs uh, advanced missiles. Uh, but the pilot needs uh, a better and advanced training. Okay, the, I, I, I put it in my book. In, in the 73 war, there is a aerial engagement between Israeli Mirage and Libyan Mirage. And the Israeli won. So it's the same aircraft, even the, the Libyan Mirage is better. Uh, it's the same aircraft and the Israeli uh, won. So the Air Force, especially the Air Force, uh, there is a close connection between the Tactical Air Command and the Israeli Air Force. To, uh, the Air Force try to learn uh, what... Uh, the Israeli, how they trained their uh, pilot. I think this is the most important uh, lesson or the most uh, important uh, issue uh, from the um, Israeli wars to the American development of the aircraft. And after that, you need, um, there is an American author said that uh, when the Israeli uh, shut down uh, MiGs on daily basis, we are just uh, training. So you need to remember that the, uh, the first uh, download of the FF-15 is in 79 above Lebanon. And the American need, the United States Air Force will need to wait to the desert storm in 91 to kill a few MiGs. So 
I think that uh, the American continue to to look what uh, the Israeli make or how they operate the F-15 and then the, even the F-16 after that. And they, I will not say copy, but they learned a lot from the, the experience because the Israeli Air Force had the, um, the operational experience. The American didn't have, uh, especially for the F-15. Again, the F-14, it's not, uh, I, I really don't know because I, can't find in the document if the American look what the Iranian uh, Iran made with the F-14 during the Iraq-Iran war in the 80s. There's a lot of uh, legend the Iranian tell to the world that they shot one uh, Phoenix missiles and they explode between four or six MiGs, Iraqi MiGs, and the, uh, all the MiGs uh, fall down. Okay, uh, maybe. Maybe not. I think maybe not. But uh, the F-15, United Air Force had a life laboratory. So it's uh, it's more like the how the Israeli operate the F- uh, their airplanes, uh, how they trained the pilot and uh, the rigor uh, training of the pilots. And uh, we can see it more than red flags and Top Gun. But there is a lot of uh, uh, Israeli pilots that uh, participate in, in both uh, programs, uh, in the Navy and the Air Force, uh, and they try to to learn each other. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I think this book is, is really valuable for including as much detail about the Israeli experiences you have. You know, when I was working on my book about the F-15 and 16, it's something that came up again and again. I would see all these pilots and uh, air crews and support crews and trainers and things talking again and again about how they were looking at Israel and how Israel was using the F-4 uh, and later, you know, other aircraft like the F-15. But just looking at their experiences and looking at their training programs and looking at their pilots and there was almost a reverence that uh, some of the Americans had for how the Israelis were handling air combat. And it just seems to come up so often that, and it's something that is not talked about maybe as much as it should. So I was really grateful that your book was able to go into that much detail about it. So thank you for that. Just a comment. After the Yom Kippur War, the army, uh, the U.S. Army, uh, look at what happened in the Golan and Sinai and try to understand uh, how the Israeli uh, won uh, the war. Military sense. And again, they uh, came with the conclusion that it's the soldier, not uh, not the machine. Of course, the of course the the soldier need a good machine. But uh, when uh, the Israeli uh, armor corps operate uh, tanks from the 50s, and the Syrian had the tank tanks from the late uh, 60s, again the Israeli uh, won, and they also. The U.S. Army understand again is the it's the human factor, not uh, not just uh, the the machine. It also impacts uh, the Air Force. There is no doubt. And uh, just before that, when the the Navy developed the Top Gun, uh, I think the the Navy understand it. It's the the human factor. It's not the just the machine. We need to give a great machine to the pilot. 
but the pilot is in the center there. Uh, the soldier, the pilot, the navy man, uh, woman is in the center. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have one more question for you. No, um, no problem. You don't have to answer this. It's not really a fair question. And you said that you're not comparing the F-14 and F-15, but I just have to ask you, if you had to pick one as your favorite, uh, which airplane would you pick? A-10. <laughs> That's a great answer. I think answer. It's, it's the most ugly and ugly airplane that the American developed, but it's so so great airplane but for a question i really don't know since it's both uh, two great airplanes and the f-14 is more sophisticated and more expensive so this is why he retired in the beginning of the 21st century and the f-15 is still uh, with us maybe i will say the f-15 because i'm an israeli in the end and the most of the down most of the f-15 uh, down the mix, it's the Israeli Air Force. But I really, I, I wrote a book about the F-14 and the F-15, and both are my sons. So uh, I can't prefer uh, one uh, for another. I know you, you, about the uh, the culture, and and I try to think about it. The, why the F-14 is more? You know, there's a lot of uh, there's m- more uh, movies about the F-14. Than the F-15. I think it's because the Navy, not because of the the airplane. Maybe the Navy uh, has a better PR than the Air Force. Uh, maybe <laughs> it's, I think there is a, at least two uh, good movies with the F-14. Uh, Top Gun in the 80s and movie about Nimitz that return in time, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the name of the the movie. The Final Countdown. I think that's something, that, yeah. Great movie. Until uh, today, to see an aircraft jump from the from carrier, it's the symbol of, I think, and this is what I teach my uh, students, and I show them YouTube the movie. To see airplane, the launch from the aircraft carrier is the heart of American power. Both military, both political, diplomatic, whatever you want. The Navy has a better PR, maybe. Yeah, I would I would go ahead and point out here that uh, as we get ready for the 2023 Academy Awards, uh, that Top Gun Maverick is actually up uh, for Best Picture. I mean, this this is an a, an Oscar nominated film uh, that has a chance to become the best film of 2022. Uh, okay, I, I need to say I, I didn't see the movie. Uh, I re- I see a few times the uh, Top Gun, especially the when the the aerial aerial combat and uh, not the love story or all kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but again, I th- it's so impressive to see aircraft launch or land on the aircraft, and I think that even the the Air Force pilot said that uh, this is the most dangerous mission to launch. Uh, yeah. to uh, land on aircraft in the middle of the night, in the middle of the ocean. When we speak about the uh, branch uh, competition, the Air Force admit that the, Ameri- that the Navy pilots are a little bit crazy. <laughs> well, uh, if any readers want to learn more about these pilots and what they're doing and how they got these airplanes to fly, 
Uh, please check out Tomcats and Eagles, the development of the F-14 and F-15 in the Cold War from Naval Institute Press. Tal, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Brian, where are you at these days online? So you can find me uh, at www.brianlastly.com and also on Twitter at Brian Lastly. Mike, how about yourself? I'm at mwhankins.com and all of us are online at balloonstodrones.com. Our music was created by Jason Davis at Digital Fish Media, which you can find on Facebook at digitalfishmedia.org. Please send us an email or feel free to send us an article for submission at balloonstodrones.com slash contact. Thank you and we will see you next time.